Good morning. Good morning. Today we're going to be reading from 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 through 10. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him, there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous. Just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you all for being here today. It is certainly a privilege to preach out of any portion of Scripture, but especially these verses of 1 John, the fatherly words of John that we have spoken of before. Before we even get into the introduction, we could uh, we could uh, just make some observations in your daily reading that if you were to take take your time and read this section this week, verses 4 through 10, Uh, You will notice some back and forth. You will notice some parallels that are in there. You will notice that certain verses, uh, certain verses in the beginning sound like verses towards the end. Or certain verses in the beginning are answered by verses in the end. And you'll see that uh, there. Uh, Sometimes people, uh, sometimes pastors will will take the opportunity as they, they preach through the verses to preach in that regard. They'll preach the beginning and the end to show how that comes together. I will not do that. Uh, I think it's easier to uh, to see what is happening in these verses by going through it logically, the way it's laid out, the way John spoke about it. Last week, uh, John Weathersby in his sermon, I mean, the, he just ended there. It just said in verse 3 that everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Uh, it was a message about being the children of God. Uh, about being found in Jesus, about abiding in Jesus, of, of being saved. That was the, 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 
the, the, the thrust of what John is just saying here. We cannot forget that this is a letter to believers. This is a letter to those who know the Lord. That fatherly letter to the little children. To little children that might be 30, 40, 50 years old from John's perspective. He is an old man. We would, just for interest of history, we would know that some of his disciples were uh, Polycarp, who would be martyred, would be burned at the stake in the, the, at the ripe old age of uh, the mid, he was in his mid-80s uh, for his faith. Ignatius was another one of John's, uh, one of John's disciples. We know that Polycarp was uh, in the uh, Ephesian area, so uh, of, for all intents and purposes, he would have known this letter. He was probably one of the little children that would have received this, that would have, would have heard this being spoken of. But John does change gears as we go into this next section, 4 to 10. We always want to keep in mind that the believers are the ones that are no longer following the spirit of the air. They're no longer following the devil. Ephesians 2.1, right? That they're seen as seated at the right hand of the Father. We as believers, all those who are in the congregation today who are believers in Jesus as Lord and Savior are seen as, as seated with Jesus right now, seen in the heavenly places already. Once saved, always saved, if you're truly saved. We'll point to the title as practicing or pretending to keep that in mind. We know that as believers there will be that desire to be like Him. Leviticus 11. I think it's on the, it might probably up on the screen because uh, I hand-wrote the list of scriptures and sent to Justin, and then he has to use the Rosetta Stone to understand what I'm writing to determine what the letters are, because they don't look like English, they look like some other things, but he did well. He just confirmed it was Leviticus, and so it was good. Uh, Leviticus uh, 11.44 For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, And be holy, for I am holy, and you shall not make yourselves unclean with any of the swarming things that swarm on the earth. For I am the Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt to be your God. Thus you shall be holy, for I am holy. There is the marching orders for believers. Way back in the beginning. Be holy because I am holy. The desire to be like Him. To be like Jesus, the sinless one, the the incarnate God, the our Savior, although He took on the form of a man, did not sin. It's an important, these verses in 1 John chapter 3, 4-10, through 10, sin will be mentioned ten times in these six verses. We might want to title the message, It's All About Sin. He also is going to use the term practice in the negative, mostly about six times in these verses where he's there. 
It's a message about the believers and the unbelievers. And I titled the sermon, Practicing or Pretending. Hopefully we'll be able to see where that comes from in, this, in the message. Verse 4. Remember, he's just come off of the, the statement about being pure because he is pure. To be like him just as he is pure. To look like him because of who he is. To be like Jesus because Jesus is Lord. And it says, everyone. Now do this. Listen to these words that we're going to get to, but the words that stand out in this first verse. Everyone practice sin lawless. Those are some key words that are in this first verse. But everyone. uh, He is... Uh, he, he is setting forth the boundaries of, of what he's talking about. And it's every one. There is no exceptions to what he's going to say. There is nothing that will fall outside of this every one that he speaks of. There is no person that stands apart from this every one. And he says, it's everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness. The lawless part to be found outside of God's commandments, to be disobedient to God, to desire your ways above God is what lawlessness is. And the one who practices sin There's a number of athletes in the room today. You practice to get better. You practice to be uh, more in, in touch with uh, whatever sport it is you're playing or whatever you're doing. You're, you're getting better at it. Now imagine you're applying that same idea here. The one who practices sin, the one who gets better at sin, the one who becomes an expert at sin, the one to whom somebody looks to and says, that guy knows what sin's all about because look how good he does it. The one who practices sin. Their life is marked by a habit of sin. Their their life is marked by the habit of lawlessness. Their life is a life marked by disobedience to the Word of God. That's the person that's the everyone. Everyone who practices sin, gets better at sin, looks for sin, does everything about sin, desires sin, doesn't seek to put it to death in the life. He is the one that is lawless, disobedient to God. Their life habits are about sin. If you were to, if you were to ask anybody, they say, yep, that's him. He's a sinner. He's obviously a sinner. Look how he seeks it out. Or she seeks it out. The one who practices sin. They are the antichrists that John spoke of earlier. The ones that deny Jesus, that deny the Son of the, the Son of God, that deny His atoning death on the cross. They are the ones that are working in disobedience towards the flock that's there. They are the ones that we that were not of us that have left and are trying to draw others with them. They are the ones that are denying that there is any problem with sin. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness. And it is taking every fiber of my being not to jump ahead. 
to explain more of that, but we're going to, I've got to stay with the notes. We're going to stay with the notes. We're going to work through this, right, to, to get to the part. Because I know there's questions out there. Because you're sitting there, you're saying, well, I'm a sinner. In fact, John told me I was a sinner, and anybody that says they're not a sinner is a liar. Am I the lawless one? Is that who I am? And those are questions that are out there. That disobedience, that uh, lawlessness, uh, the sin problem, as we'll call it, the curse of sin. When we talk uh, about the purity of God, about the holiness of God, we, we should probably remember most of the time, or some of the time, or part of the time, Exodus 33.20, right? No man can look upon God and live. They can't look upon God and live because they're sinners. Because the stain of sin is within them. The stain of sin is on them. They need Jesus, as John would tell them. But that, perhaps we could say that that person, everyone who practices sin, also practices lawlessness, disobedience, anti-God, anti-God's word, anti-God's commandments. And it says, and sin is lawless, right? So, uh, you got the back and you got the back and forth. These things are wrapped around each other. Sin and lawlessness. We could say this person, they came to the end of their life. This one who practices sin. We could say this person' favorite song was probably "I Did It My Way." I did it the way I saw fit. I didn't seek the Word of God because I desired these other things. That's what sin looks like. My desires over what God says. I desire this over what God says. I desire this over what God says is good. I desire this as opposed to whatever God says. That's the, the, the missing the mark of sin. I did it my way. And people will do it my way to their eternal damnation. They will practice and get better at it to their eternal destruction. The practice of sin is easy. The practice of sin is the life of the unbeliever. The unbeliever is the one who practices sin and gets better at it. Now maybe there's some questions there for the moment. And we think about this for a second. We are all sinners. That's why we you know, we would pray that you know even as a sin, you know a sinner preaching to sinners, right? That's what it is. I'm no better uh, when it comes to that regard than anybody else. We would we would know that the life of the unbeliever though is the one that practices sin. We know that the life of the believer is the one that doesn't practice sin or shouldn't be getting better at sin or shouldn't be looking out for those things because. Now you have the conviction of the sin in your life. You know things about yourself that you didn't know before or recognize before or, or note that these things are, uh, are definitely sin or against or disobedient to God. For, for example, I can look back over the course of my life from the time I became a believer till now and can say there was things back then when I first became a believer that I did not recognize as sins. 
You've heard me say it before. I would have not recognized the water cooler talk as a sin. You know, when you're talking about somebody else, did you see what so-and-so did? Or did you hear what happened to so-and-so? Now I know it's a sin. Convicted of that as a sin. That doesn't happen to the unbeliever. So it's the unbeliever is the one who, 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 who practices sin. John says in these, in this, in this whole chapter, he, he, he lays out for us the things that, like in 1 John 2, uh, excuse me, 1 John 1 6, you must practice truth. Okay, so if the sin, if the lawless one, right, if, if the, if that, if the one who is unforgiven in sin is practicing sin all the time, then the one who is saved is, 1 John 1 6 is practicing truth. 1 John 2.17 is practicing God's will. These are the words that John says. He uses the same Greek word in there for practicing. And then in 1 John 2.29, he's practicing righteousness. So we would say that those that are practicing those things are the believers. They're seeking to get better at those things. Not seeking to be self-righteous, but to be righteous as He is righteous. To be holy as He is holy. To live as He lived. To look the way He looked at people. The pretenders in this, in this category would be those that would say, oh, sin isn't a problem. Let go and let God. Right? Horrible statement. Horrible and hateful to say, let go and let God. Nowhere in the Scripture does it say, let go and let God. What it does say is the moment you become a believer is uh, Philippians 2.12, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Pay attention to your life. As the book said, we've been passing these out, examine yourself. Right? We are are to, to take responsibility for that great gift that has been given to us. It would be, there's really no, there's no analogy, illustration that would do it justice, but we're going to try. If you have received the salvation that John Weathersby spoke of in last week in verses 1, 2, and 3 that he spoke about, of being the child of God, that you've received the, 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 the freedom from your sin, that you have received eternal life through our Lord and Savior Jesus, and we would say it was on that Christmas morning, that you got that puppy you always wanted. That you begged your parents to get. And then for the next five weeks, you ignored the puppy, didn't feed the puppy, didn't take care of the puppy, and the puppy got sick and maybe passed away. I just let go. I figured he would take care of himself. This gift I got, I figured it would just be, it would just be, that, that's what I wanted, and I just, it's just going to take care of itself. Well, it's the same way with our salvation. You are, you are once saved, always saved, but here on this, this earth, when you're truly saved, you are to practice your faith. You are to practice truth. Practice God's will. You are to practice righteousness. You are to work out truth. You are to work at God's will and to work out righteousness. You are to be at that all the time. Not just sit there and assume that it's going to happen. You are to work it out. You are to look at the Scripture and find out the way I should be. You are to look at those passages in Galatians that we'll get to, what it looks like for a believer. That's what you're supposed to be practicing. 
Don't pretend that you're there when you're not practicing where you should be. Verse 5. You know that He appeared in order to take away sins, and in Him there is no sin. If we took it from the end back to the beginning of that verse, it says there's no sin in Jesus, so that means He's the only one that was capable of being the atoning death for you. He is the only one who is capable of being the, here is the Lamb of God come to take away the sins of the world. He is the only one born of a seed outside of creation itself. I believe it was on Christmas that we did uh, uh, a number of the men here at the church gave a little presentation. We talked about Jeconiah, Kaniah, right? That, that, that he is part of that line of of Jesus, right? Jeconiah was uh, was told that he was cursed. There would be no king through him, through that male line. Yet Joseph is part of that male line. The reason Joseph, uh, Jesus' earthly father, could not be king is because he was a, of a cursed line. So it had to come from outside, from the Holy Spirit. It had to come outside the world for Jesus to be born, to be that king, to be that atoning death. And it says right there, there is no sin in him. Verse 3 that John spoke of last week, he is pure. And you know there in verse 5, you know that he appeared in order to take away the sins. That he was revealed. Not the thought of Jesus, but Jesus actually physically revealed to be shown on earth. To be enfleshed. That He was revealed in His creation, the creation He had. He was revealed to take away sin. Now I want you to think about this. Jesus Himself, the Creator, was nailed to a piece of His creation by men that He created. That's what that revelation looked like. The Divine One out of heaven giving up the riches of heaven to be here to walk amongst His creation, to be the atoning death, that uh, to live the life we couldn't live and die the death we couldn't die in our stead. He was the second Adam. The, the curse of sin came through the first Adam and the, and the gift of life came through the second Adam. Uh, Colossians 1.16 For by Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. That's Jesus. The, the Creator in His creation. 1 Corinthians 15.45 1 Corinthians 15.45 I said, why did I put down 15? That's crazy. There's no 15. Oh, there it is. Sorry. And on 2 Corinthians. My goodness. 1 Corinthians 15.45 So also it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam, that's Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. So, Let's wrap our heads around this for a second. 
Jesus comes and lives the life we couldn't live and dies the death we couldn't die to give life to a bunch of walking dead men. To give life to a bunch of walking corpses, because that's what you are without Jesus abiding in you, without the Holy Spirit within you. This Jesus, Colossians 1.15, who is the enfleshed image of God. Turn back to 1 Corinthians 15.22. Walking corpses in Adam is what we are. For as in Adam all die, and then it says, so also in Christ all will be made alive. Those found in Christ are made alive. So John there, 1 John. 3 you know that He appeared in order to take away sins, and in Him there is no sin. He just said previously that everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, disobedience to God. And then He goes on to verse 6. Well, before I get there, so Jesus lived a life of purity and righteousness. His life was defined by that while He walked on this planet. He set aside the riches of heaven to do what we couldn't do for ourselves. So being found in Jesus, being in, in, to being indwelt by the Holy Spirit, to know Him as Lord and Savior, to recognize the work of the cross, to be washed in the blood of the Lamb. Are we walking as He walked? Are we practicing the things that He practiced? Right? Or are we just pretending to be believers? Are we just sitting in church and saying this is enough? Or is our life being defined by the practices that we do? Now, I want to be careful here. Because I know, regardless of how I say this, somebody is going to hear more and more and more, i got to compare, compare, compare. That's not what I'm saying. Every individual believer in this room is on a different walk. The same walk to a shore that we've never been to, to a harbor that is in heaven that we've never seen, to the skyline of a city we've never viewed to a king that we've never touched, seen, or felt, right? But we know by the promises that's where we're going. That journey is somewhat different for all of us, but it has to be found through Jesus as Lord and Savior. It isn't about the pile of righteousness that you're building up in your life compared to somebody else. It's about putting to death sin in your life, practicing the mortification, that's a term that would be used, putting to death the sin in your life. When you recognize sinful behaviors, you're putting that to death. You're praying to God about it. You're reading your scripture about it. You're you're fellowshipping with other believers to help you put to death those things so that you can be righteous because He is righteous. So you can be holy because He is holy. So are you practicing these things or are you just pretending you are? Is it real or is it just dress up that you're doing Verse 6, he says, no one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. What do you mean no one who abides in him sins? That could be, uh, that could be tough because 1 John 1.10 tells us what? 1 John 1.10 says, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. I can tell you that 
thousands, if not tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of pages and commentaries have been spent on these verses of what that means. And I'll tell you simply what it means. Is that the one that is found in Jesus no longer desires to be a sinner. That no longer desires to be the old man or old woman that they were before. They desire to live into that new creation. That new birth. What did Jesus say to Nicodemus? You must be born again. But I was born this way. I was born like this. I had a horrible childhood. I had a great childhood. Whatever, it doesn't matter. I was born this way. And Jesus clearly says, you must be born again. In other words, you must be a new creation. So if we could take this simply, that no one who abides in Him sins, that means that the one that is found in Jesus, yes, you are a sinner till the day you die, but you, the blood of the Lamb has covered you, that you are, your sins will be washed away, you will be cleansed pure, they will be scraped from the vellum of that, of that uh, like, the, like the rabbis would do when they made mistakes, they would scrape that piece of skin until that, that, that wrong writing was taken away so you can't even see it anymore. There is that time when we will stand before the judgment seat of throne, uh, the judgment throne of Christ, and He will remove all the sins from our lives, and we will never see them again. We will never even consider them again, except to glorify Him and what He has done. No one who abides in Him sins. In other words, you're different than the verse in four. The one who practices sin, you are not a sin practicer. You are one at the recognition of the sin in your life that, that you feel the weight, not of guilt, because you are caught, but you feel the weight of being disobedient to your Lord and Savior. That's the one who abides in Him. No one who sins has seen Him or knows Him. We would, I would, if I could just be a little bit of grace from the Lord Himself in saying this, we could say this as, no one who practices sin and seeks out sin and loves their sin has seen Him or knows Him. That's what we want to take away from that verse. We don't want to helicopter in and pull a verse out and say this and skip all that John has said before us. We want to read the whole thing. Uh, John and I will both tell you this. Read the verses around it, at least. Preferably read the chapter, at least. Better, read the whole book that is there to get the flavor of what there is. We just did this this morning in a, in a leadership meeting with regard to uh, a, a section we were reading in the, in the Scripture. Read the whole thing to see what they're talking about, to, to see what the, the concern of John is. And John's concern is that these antichrists are dragging people away from the flock. They're saying things about sin that aren't true. They're saying there is no problem with sin that, aren't, that isn't true. John is reminding them, as Jesus would remind His disciples, His apostles, remind, remind, remind. As believers, we need reminded all the time. There is not a day of our life we don't need reminded of this and of the problem of sin. If John felt that it was necessary to talk about sin ten times in six verses, then it's probably pretty important that we talk about it too. We must remember that we were washed and know Jesus as Lord and Savior. That we need to make these practices of 
truthfulness and righteousness and God's will are habits. Not just, uh, not just something we do on occasion, but something that becomes more and more a part of our lives. That we are more and more impressed by our Lord and Savior in the book that we are given to know about Him. We must repent and believe on a daily basis. We must turn away from our sins. The practice of repentance. Not pretending we repented by just saying, hey, I'm sorry. But going before the Lord and confessing our sins and agreeing with God on the state of our... uh, Agreeing with God how deadly the sins are to us. Verse 7, he says, little children, make sure no one is deceived, has deceived you. Remember, we have these people trying to pull them away. Don't, don't be deceived. The, the one who practices righteousness is righteous. The evidence in the life is, 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 is defining to who you are and what you believe. Granted, in the beginning, sometimes that evidence is just tiny. It's just a little bit. It's just a little change of attitude. It's like the story goes about the man who complained uh, about the music in his church and the people in his church. And he became a believer and he came back in. He said, I don't know what you guys did, but everybody here is great. And I said, the music is fantastic and nothing has changed. He was given a new heart. Right? The one who practices righteousness is righteous just as says He is righteous, but it means Jesus is righteous. We practice and do the things that Jesus did. We look and act the way and do the things that Jesus did. We, what did Jesus say in the desert? After 40 days, physical weakness. At the, at the end of His physical ability to resist. The end of my physical ability to resist and hunger is about two hours. You can almost convince me to do anything if you, you know, wave like, especially one of those little things of Pringles in front of me. Oh my gosh, these things are awesome. But you know, right? I mean, there's 40 days. What did Jesus say when offered the, when offered the ability to sin against his Father? Man cannot live on the physical things of this world alone. He must have the Word of God. Ladies and men, I implore you to be in the Word as much as possible. To surround yourself with the Word as much as possible. Even if it means memorizing even a tiny verse, just to repeat to yourself as much as possible. Don't be deceived. Don't be the one that's led away by these antichrists. Don't be the one that, 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 that believe what the world says in opposition to what the Scripture says. Don't be like the, the world when John speaks of the evilness that's in the world that we spoke of a couple weeks ago. Don't be like that. Again, there is no let go, let God. There is being found in Jesus as your Lord and Savior and abiding in Him and practicing the will of God. And working out your your salvation with fear and trembling. Second Corinthians five nine. 
2 Corinthians 5.9, if you turn there. Think about, uh, think about how Paul is using these words here. Therefore, we also have as our ambition. <laughs> if we were just to stop and camp on that word ambition, our, our, our desire, the, 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 the thing that uh, affixes our, our thoughts and our mind, uh, the, the thing we would look at, and I, and I want that thing so badly, I, I want to wrap my arms around it and not let it go. I, I, I just want to hold on to it. This is the thing that I desire more than anything else. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, regardless of where we're at, to be pleasing to Him. The one who abides in Jesus seeks to be pleasing to Him. Not perfection, but a life that is marked by being trying, working out that pleasing to Him more and more. Examining ourselves to be more and more pleasing to Him. Is my current behavior, is that pleasing to the Lord or is it not? I'll say my poor wife at times has dealt with my sharpness of tongue at times, you know, where, where it's just like I could just be what we would call bitey for no reason. That certainly isn't being pleasing to God. That isn't treating my spouse the way the Lord would treat my spouse. And we want that ambition to be part of our lives, to be pleasing to Him. So that He could look at the things that we do and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Right? We could also take that phrase that, what do they say? Uh, Bad characters corrupt good morals. Right? Who are we with? Who are we associating with? You can't take yourself out of the world, but you can choose who you spend the majority of your time with. I could say that the moment that I became a believer, that the church wasn't the place where I wanted to spend the majority of my time. As I became more and more mature as a believer, the church, this, I desire Sunday mornings more than everything, to the point that I could be that sharp person in the mornings and some of the and the leadership team will know that if it's not going the way I want it to go, right, with what we're talking about, I could be a little bitey till God gets a hold of me and says, oh, now listen, you just need to calm down, right? I desire more and more to be with believers than I do with anybody else. We were out to dinner the other night, and we were sitting there, and I couldn't imagine that there was a time in my life that there were such shallow conversations that were going on around us. That conversations of no substance. Conversations that were little better than what the weather was. Conversations that certainly didn't have to deal with eternal matters. So we want to practice righteousness just as He is righteous. We want to practice those behaviors with the idea that there are eternal consequences to our daily lives. We don't want to just pretend our way through life. Verse 8. John gets 
as as a as a fatherly figure, he gets much harder here. He gets he he really gets he really ramps up the focus. He the 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 metal is on the anvil. The hammer is coming down. Right, it's dinging in the background when he's saying these words. The one who practices sin is of the devil. So if you went way back to the beginning, everyone who practices sin practices lawlessness. And the one who practices those things, you're of the devil. You're a son of the devil. You are a son of Satan. The one who desires those sinful things, that is where you're found at. Your father is not in heaven. Your father is bound here on earth. A son of the devil, right? The one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose. To destroy the works of the devil. Sometimes it's hard for us to imagine those who received this letter. Those who were sitting in maybe somebody's house. Certainly not a church building like this. You know, we're talking probably between 85 and 95 AD. They would have been the ones who received this letter as a letter of encouragement. They would have sat around to, for, to listen anxiously to hear what John was saying. Having known John, they could probably hear his voice when the letter was being read. Now knowing John was an old man that they hadn't seen in a while. Maybe even surprised that he was still alive. Last of the apostles. Penning this letter to them. First and foremost, they would have seen, they would have known how important they were to him that he would take the time to write this letter to them. They would have heard the phrases like in 5, you know he appeared. Nothing new. This is not new teaching that you're getting. I just so need you to know these things, to remember these things, to be reminded of these things, to know your eternal state. To not be swayed by these antichrists that have left. These ones that have gone out from us. That were never really of us. These ones that are part of the blessed subtraction from the body. That I'm certain when they heard the word, the practices of the devil, they knew that they weren't the ones that were practicing of the devil that they knew that the devil himself was a sinner from the beginning. That it is a reminder to them. And as they would disciple people, they would remind them too of this fact. That when we look at 8, we would just take away the fact that the Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. To destroy how sin binds to the earth. To destroy the chains that... that, that, that that, 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 that keep us in sin. That Jesus came to undo all that work from way back in the beginning. <coughs> that He came back to be that one who would eventually crush 
the serpent. That He would be the one that would put to death, death. Remember, it is through Him, the second Adam, that life is given, the life-giving Spirit is given. Jesus came and breathed life into walking dead men and women. Our practice, our daily lives, how we think about Jesus, how we think about the Scripture, how we think about our church, demonstrates what we believe. It demonstrates where we're found. Are we found in the One that appeared for this purpose? Are we found abiding in Jesus Himself? Are we found in that glorious place, that state, anxiously awaiting the new heaven and the new earth? Or are we just pretending those things? Are we just putting on a good show? What's the evidence of our lives? Verse 9, No one who is born of God practices sin. Ah, so he's tightening this up now, right? He's tightening up from the one who abides in sin. Uh, In verse 6, now he's saying the one who practices sin, the one who seeks out sin, the one whose life is marked by a habit of sin. A desire for sin. One that doesn't see that there's a problem with sin. One that says, I can do whatever I want because God has forgiven me. Easy believism, as it were. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him. He cannot sin because he is born of God. He is a new creation. The sin life, the habit of sin, the practice of sin, no longer defines that life of this, these believers. This reminder that they're getting as they're, as they're sitting in this house and this letter is being read as they're going through it, right? And remember, the first reading of this letter wouldn't be in part. They would read it as a whole. It's all coming together for them. They were worried about these people that left. They looked like they were us, but they're gone. He said, no, 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 no. They were never of you. They were the ones who practiced sin. They were the ones who say wrong things about the state of you before sin. No, the, the, the one who is born of God, you, congregation in Ephesus that I'm writing to, you that are born of God, you're no longer the practicer of sin. Because He is in you. The Holy Spirit is enthroned in you. You are now the temple of the Most High God. It is there that the temple that would be spoken when Jesus speaks to the woman at the well. John 4. You are no longer the same creature you were before. Your desires for sin have changed. Your true Father is in heaven because you're, you're not a son of the devil. Your new birth and your, because of your new birth, your practices show who your Father is.
but pretending will also show who your true father is too. We must remember that. We must examine our lives and see. Verse 10, by this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. It has very much that flavor of the passage they went out from us because they were not of us. But this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone can see. Anyone who does not (coughs) practice righteousness is not of God. We could add in what John said previously. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God. Anyone who does not practice truth is not of God. Anyone who does not practice God's will is not of God. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not a God, nor the one who does not love his brother. Your household of origin is obvious. We were born in a certain household, but as believers, we're an entirely new house. We have a new heavenly father. We have new brothers and sisters other than just our physical brothers and sisters. We are of a new family. And this new family has, we could say, different practices. Different holidays that are important. Different things that are important to them. Not like when you were in the household you were born in. Entirely different. A family that you were born into that looks different than the family that you were born into. This family of new birth has all sorts of people of different ages. Of different colors. Of different backgrounds. But they're all part of your family. This is what is obvious. The one who doesn't practice righteousness is bound here on the earth. Is bound in the devil's camp. Is bound in a pathway of destruction. But the one who does practice these things, the one that demonstrates who they claim they believe in, that Jesus is their Lord and Savior, he and she is the one who... Who, who claims their new household, their, their new family, the new set of believers. I'm sure there's many people in this room today that you came a believer and that if you were to look at the, the, the people that you're friends with as believers, you would say, you would not say that those would be people you would pick. They would never have been in the same circles that you traveled in. I feel so bad for those people that are out there that, that are not believers. Because it's just like this. It's like, oh, well, you know, my friends are all people that are into Harley Davidsons. Or my friends are only the people that are into NASCAR or baseball. Or my friends are only the people that are into Southern Italian cooking. Right? That, they're, that that's all they're bound with. Whereas we, we are in a, you know, uh, what, what would we say? A cornucopia of people, of believers, that our family is. Of all different backgrounds and experiences that we are to be united to that we find strength in, that God gives us strength through that body of believers. It says that by this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not a God or does not love his brother. Go to Galatians 5. 
and 17, we'll see what the, uh, we'll see what the, what it looks like to be not found in right pathways. Galatians 5, 17. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, for these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. Go to verse 19. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident. These would be the ones that practice sin. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Notice the list is not comprehensive. Like these, things that fall into these categories. Of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. There's a list of things not to practice. There's a a list of things that if you are doing them, your salvation is in question. The thing that you claim, you might just be pretending. If these are the things you practice. Look at verse, uh, go back just a little bit in verse 14. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then go to verses 22 through 26. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. We'll leave today with just some thoughts. Examine yourself. We must continually do this every day. Do you practice the righteousness? Do you practice the truth? Do you practice God's will? Or are you a pretend believer? Let's pray. Glorious and Heavenly Father, thank You for this day, for Your Word for the conviction that it brings us to the way it cuts our hearts. We are so thankful that you have enfleshed our hearts, that you can cut them and they can bleed, and then you heal us through your, your word, through knowing Jesus as our Savior, through, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Please be with us throughout this day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You would stand and join us while we close out their song.